Oh, they're not going to sit at my feet while I teach, I say. I just... That's good. They might have got a little wet. So, um, once you join me in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, this morning, we're going to finish up together uh, this first section of our overall discipleship series. Uh, we've said simply a disciple is a person who is wanting to become like their leader, and our leader is Jesus Christ. And there are the stages, what Tamara referred to, uh, of becoming a Christ follower, moving from dead in our sins to alive in Christ, coffin to crib, and then maturing in Christ, moving from the crib to the table, and then multiplying ourselves as we move from the table to the stove. So we are finishing this first section this morning, becoming a Christ follower. Here's been the journey of becoming a Christ follower. We started with the two most basic questions in life. Is there a God? And the universe demands there is. Because something cannot come from nothing. And the universe doesn't just demand that one exists, but that our God is infinitely powerful and infinitely wise as you look at the way the universe is and works. And then we ask the second most basic question. Why are we here? We learn that we're here to reflect that infinitely wise and infinitely powerful God. But all that God had made good, we ruined. By going our own way, by rebelling instead of submitting. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to be our savior. So we looked at the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. Which makes up what we're simply going to tie together this morning, the gospel. We're going to take the time this morning to look at these three verses in Ephesians 2 for the sake of gospel clarity. What we do in India that I shared a little bit last week is largely because of gospel ignorance. That's not their fault. It's they've not heard there is a Jesus to believe in. But in our city and pretty much across our country, there's been lots of things that people have heard over the years growing up in different situations, and they've kind of oftentimes thrown it all into a pot and kind of made gospel stew out of it. And in the process, it's not the gospel anymore. And so the goal this morning is twofold, to give us gospel clarity, number one, and second, hopefully to equip you to be able to communicate the gospel with clarity and address some of the confusion that is around. So more than a typical Sunday morning, this might feel like training. Oftentimes it's instruction. This will be more like training. When you come in, I hope you got a message memo and you have something to write with because I'm going to invite you to work through four diagrams with me from these three verses that we're going to look at together. If you don't have a Bible, the verses are actually at the top of the page where below we're going to work through our four diagrams. And I want us to read this out loud as we did earlier. I want us to read these three verses together out loud. So join me. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Take your pen, pencil, whatever you have there, and I want you to underline or circle these words, grace, faith, gift, and then these two phrases, not as a result of works, and this phrase, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're going to look at grace, faith, gift, not as a result of works, 
and created in Christ Jesus for good works. And for each one, we're going to give a little diagram to help us understand. So the verse started, for by grace you have been saved. So uh, diagram number one, top left, it's saved by grace. How do we illustrate that? Simply like this. This is an image that I hope you've gotten familiar with through this series. Genesis 1.27 began, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So when he made humanity, he made them in his image to be in relationship with God. To be one with him, under him, in submission to reflect him because within the Godhead, there is submission and we reflect him as we submit to him. But he didn't just place us here to be in relationship with him. He also placed us here so that we might reflect him in the way that we would live on this planet as stewards of it, that we would care for it, tend it, rule it with the gift that God has given us in himself. And he placed us to be in relationship with him and to rule this earth and to live in community with one another. That God literally said, it's not good for you to be alone. So he gave Adam Eve and he said, I'm gonna bless them and they're gonna multiply be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth that they would rule. And then he gave them this incredible gift of life like we can't hardly imagine, a life where there is no shame and there is no fear. There is perfect peace in life. This is how he created humanity to live in a life of fullness and completeness with our God, with our world, with ourselves, and with one another. It's a fantastic gift. And what did we do to deserve this? Absolutely nothing, right? This is 100% by grace. But we only make it through one chapter until it says, when the woman, Eve, saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate from the tree that the Lord had said, you can eat of any tree, don't eat of this tree. She ate, she gave also to her husband Adam with her and Adam ate. And what happened? Then the eyes of both of them were open and that they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So when they chose to move out from under submission to God, that relationship with God is broken. When they moved from submission to disobedience, relationship with God was broken and peace was broken with self. They experienced immediately shame, fear, self-consciousness. That self-consciousness, fear, and shame led to a brokenness with one another. They began to blame the other, and that blame ultimately ended up with a brokenness with the world. So instead of fulfillment, this now became futility. Now, I want you, I'm having you draw this out because I want you to imagine someone at your work or someone in your family or someone in your neighborhood is experiencing brokenness in their life. For you to simply be able to say, this is what God in his grace has dealt with. All of us are broken. But it's when we feel the brokenness that we are 
then open, this is what Tamar said, that we're then open to hear about the love of God. So brokenness is a doorway for people to understand that God had created all things to be good, but it's by our own sin that we have brought brokenness. Romans 5 says, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread where? To all men. This is why, Romans 5.12, if you've wondered, this is why we, we understand that as cute as babies are when they are born, they're born separated from God. Because in Adam, all of us have inherited a sin nature and death and what sin brought to all of us. So it's not just Adam and Eve. This is, this is life for all of humanity. But the scripture says, God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what did he do in his death? He died for sins once for all. He took the payment and the penalty for sin upon himself, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us back to God. So the way I would visualize that for a person is to simply take what God had started, what we had ruined, and what Christ has done. He took the brokenness between God and self. He took the brokenness between self and others, and he took our brokenness with the world, and he took it upon himself on the cross. And what did we do to deserve this? See, it is by grace. We do a really good job of ruining our lives. And sometimes we can think there's no hope. Did I die there? I'm back. God in his grace. See, this is, this is what I want this diagram to communicate for us. That God in his grace has taken that which we have broken and brought reconciliation with God, with others, with self, and this world. So that, this is, this is fantastic, guys. So that life does not have to be futile any longer. We're not just mired in futility. Because of the work of God, this is restored. Relationship with others is restored. And self is restored. And our work, our life here, restored in every way. This is the grace of God. And John writes, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That's a word we don't use much. It simply means that he took the wrath that we deserve because our sin, he satisfied. That's what propitiation is. He satisfied the wrath that we deserve. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now, you got to lay Romans 5.12 that we just looked at. Death came through Adam, and through Adam, death spread to, remember, all men. And in Christ, he has, through Christ, he has, his wrath has been satisfied, not just for us, but for those of the whole world. Now, we say that, is the whole world saved? Now, this is where we need to have gospel clarity. God has loved us. Christ has paid our penalty. And it's not been for anything that we have done. Our salvation is 100% by what? By grace. This is why some people would say this is God's riches at Christ's expense. If you like a... An acronym for grace, God rich, God's riches at Christ's expense. That we can have fullness and completeness again through Christ. But 
Our verse at the top of our page says we are saved by grace through faith. And so the grace of God has made a way, not only for us, but for the whole world to be saved. But it is only applied personally through faith. So though Christ has died for the sins of the whole world, not all are saved. That's gospel confusion. Oh, it's in, in the end, everybody will be saved. No, it is by grace that God has made a way for the whole world, but it is only received through faith. So, chart number two, by grace through faith. And here we want to simply look at the diagram differently. Give me a little help, Dave. There we go. Same idea, just from a different perspective. God had created humanity to be in relationship with him, one with him, under him. But because of sin, that relationship that God had created to be one is separated. So now sin has made a brokenness between God and man. This bridge, this gap has been bridged by the person and work of Jesus. Jesus, who lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death and was raised from the dead, he took sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So Jesus took the sin. The bridge is there. It's crossed, how? Through faith. It, it is an action of faith that humanity is restored. And so faith must be applied to the grace that God has given. But what's faith? What's it mean to put faith in God? Here's what faith means. Faith takes three steps. First, it acknowledges, I am a sinner. I admit, and I want you to write under humanity, admit. I admit that I am deserving of God's wrath. Faith begins with something I acknowledge about myself. Sin is real for me personally, and my sin, whether I consider it Small or large, that sin has separated me from God. That's where faith begins. Admitting that I am deserving of God's wrath. Second, believing. Just work your way across. Believing that Jesus has taken my penalty. What do I need to believe about Jesus? That is the son of God. He lived a perfect life. That he died a substitutionary death and that he was raised from the dead because he wasn't what we learned last week. If he wasn't raised from the dead, then his death was just like any other death. But it was only the life that he lived that qualified him for the death he died. So you, you track it with me? What do we need to know about Jesus? He lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death that he was raised from the dead. So faith is admitting that I am deserving of God's wrath, believing in what Jesus has done on my behalf. But it has one more step. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. So there is a in faith, admitting, a believing, and then a, when's the gift become yours? When you receive what God has graciously given. So there is admitting my sin, believing in Jesus, and receiving the free gift of God. That's to put faith in Christ. And it, it takes all three parts for faith to be saving faith. I must admit that I'm a sinner. If I don't admit I'm a sinner, I do not need a savior. Now, let me make a, a clarification here uh, so you can save the email. 
the, because somebody's going to say, hey, but where's the word repentance? Repentance is in the Bible, and you're talking about faith, and you never use the word repentance. Actually, repentance is all over admitting, believing, and receiving. Let me explain. Repentance simply means to change my mind. And for me to, for some, for some, repentance is in the, I must admit that I'm a sinner. See, not everybody admits that they deserve God's wrath. Why? Because they're not that bad. Not perfect, but not that bad. I was a little taken aback uh, two weeks ago when we were going in the village door to door and I sat with a mom, her mom, and her son. The husband wasn't there and in India and I'm going through the gospel with them and they will not admit that they're sinners. I was really caught off guard and it was challenging with the language uh, difference to, to communicate with them in a manner that were they just embarrassed why would they not admit they were sinners? They were very uh, quick to admit that their, the husband was a sinner. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, at the end of the conversation, let me tell you what she said. Because uh, she said, no, I, I will not believe in Jesus. And I asked her, what's keeping you? And she talked about her husband being a drunk. And I simply asked her, if you're if God would deliver him from alcohol, would you believe in Jesus? She said she would. So maybe you'd pray for that man. Because the alcohol would not just spare their, being delivered from alcohol would not just spare that family from the destruction that it's bringing to it. It's the hurdle for her believing. But she wouldn't admit that she was a sinner at first. And so I finally asked the 11-year-old, 11 or 12, I forget, uh, you always obey your mom? And he wouldn't answer me because he solved the trap. So I invited mom. Mom, does he always obey you? No. So is disobedience of mom a sin against God? Yes. Ah, so we've established we have one sinner in the room. <laughs> Mom, now that he's been willing to admit he doesn't always do the right thing, do you always do the right thing? And she kind of got that grin on her face like, all right, you trapped me as well. Grandma would never admit. <laughs> Seriously, she would just never admit that she was a sinner. Now, why did I tell you all that? Because sometimes repentance, the change of mind is I'm not so bad that I deserve God's wrath. That may be repentance that you needed or that you need. A change of mind. I do deserve the wrath of God. I'm not perfect, and I am that bad. Or repentance, the change of mind, may need to be about Jesus. I'm not really sure. Did he live a sinless life? Or did he really die a substitutionary death? Did he really rise from the dead? Or was he just a good teacher who lived a really good life and set a fantastic example? If you think Jesus was a good person who lived a good life but didn't die a substitutionary death or was raised from the dead, then you need to what? Repent. A change of mind. See, repentance may be in admitting what's true about me, believing what's true about Jesus, And receiving. But it is a gift to be received. So a guy Thursday night grabbed <clears throat> uh, me afterwards. He said, hey, I just want to remind you, it was this chart that you were sharing when I came to Christ. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Thanks for telling me. And he said, the crucial question was when you laid this out for me and then you said, hey, tell me where you are on this, in this journey. And he's not the first that... Gave him a pen. Where are you? And almost every guy, you know where they place themselves? 
right in the middle. I'm right here. What's that tell me? Tells me they're gospel confused. Tells me that they think, I am working my way back to God. Because anytime somebody puts their selves there, I go, oh, why there? Well, and then there's usually some expressions. Well, I used to cuss a lot. I don't cuss as much as I used to. I didn't used to go to church, but now I'm going to. I used to say, go hunting. This is what the guy said. Well, I used to sit in my deer stand every Sunday morning, but now I actually come to church every once in a while. What's he doing? He's working his way. So, I don't know where you'd place yourself, but if you'd place yourself here, or here, or here, that's gospel confusion. Gospel clarity says this. You can only be here, separated from God, or here, reconciled to God. The only person that can be in between is the person who was without sin, who took the sin. Only Jesus can be here in the middle. And to put, place myself anywhere in here demonstrates gospel confusion. What is faith? I want you to know, because I'm, I'm hoping you're going to share this on a napkin with somebody this next week, or the back of a menu. To place faith in Jesus, to do what first? Admit I deserve God's wrath, to believe what Jesus has done, and then to receive the free gift of God. Number three, it's not by works. It's by grace, it is through faith, and it is a gift, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So diagram three, not a result of works. Diagram three looks very similar to the first, that God and man are separated because of sin, and Jesus has indeed lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, has, has been raised from the dead, has taken sin, and God has done his part, and humanity must do their part through their own works. That may be to be baptized, to go to confession and say prayers, to attend church regularly, to bring my life morally in line with the scriptures, and to be generous. And by doing these things, I do my part as God has done his part in giving his son Jesus. Now, let me be, please don't run and use the restroom right now, even if you're online, because that's gospel what? That's gospel confusion right there. But I've learned to draw this diagram often because this is what most people think. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. Yeah, I believe he died on the cross. I believe he was raised from the dead. Yeah, I believe he was raised from the dead. But nothing's free. We have to do our part as God has done their part. I've drawn this many, many times, turned it to an individual and says, does this make sense to you? Yes, perfect sense. It's exactly what I've always thought. It's exactly what I've been taught. It's actually incredibly joyful. But then take your Bible, after you've drawn what I would simply call the short-arm Jesus there, and had them agree, yes, that's what they understand, and open my Bible to Ephesians 2, the very verses we're looking at right now, 8 and 9. I don't read it for them, simply ask them, would you read this and tell me what you think? It's fantastic. Because they're always like, whoa, that's different. 
they don't, this does not agree with this. And it's a moment of, what's the word? Repentance. Of a changing of mind, their mind from what they had been taught and thought and kind of lived by and go, it's not by works. And to simply say, so what would it look like according to this? And to be able to put an X through the work and take a short-armed Jesus and make him the full bridge. Never hesitate to help people understand what they think is different than what the scripture declares. Little lesson at least for me anyway, it's always more helpful to find out what they believe before you show them what the scripture says. So it is by grace, through faith, as a gift, not as a result of works. Diagram number four, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The works are, what? <laughs> They're not here, it's Jesus alone through faith. Finally, verse 10, and oftentimes, we talk about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 without 10, but here's why I think we need to talk about verse 10 with 8 and 9. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So uh, diagram number one, by grace. Diagram number two, through faith. Diagram number three, not as a result of works. Diagram four, Four good works. So we start the same way. God intended to be in relationship with humanity as one sin has separated. Jesus, without works, Jesus alone has taken sin. He has 100% by grace done for me what I could not do for myself. And works did not disappear. What happened? When we placed faith in him, we were restored to relationship with God, admitted, believed, received, and our works came as a result of our salvation. See, it's not that we take works away completely. We put it on the correct side of the cross. It's not something that I do. It's not the, the shower I take before Jesus gives me the bath. Works are simply this, a result of who I now am in Christ. I now do what I do because of who he has made me, not in order to become in Christ. So don't take works off the table. Make sure it's on the right side of your salvation. Now, why would I share that? I would share this because, and this will be some of your story. Yeah, I, my grandmother took me to church or when I was a kid. My parents took me to church. And I can remember when I was seven, eight years old, uh, I didn't want to go to hell, and heaven sounded like a lot better option, and so I prayed a prayer. But in my life, my life never really changed. I still kind of stayed in charge of my life, did what I wanted, but at least I was going to go to heaven. And the assurance of salvation is in a 
prayer I prayed versus the work that Jesus has done. And the scripture is very clear. It says this. It says, you can do these and not be saved. But it says you cannot be saved and not do them. You can do them and not be saved. Religious exercise. But if you indeed are born again, you are in Christ and you are in Christ for good works. This is, and I put baptism first here because here's what the New Testament teaches. When the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost and Peter stood up and he preached and he shared about the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and that God had raised him from the dead. People were cut to the heart and they said, what do we need to do to be saved? And what did Peter tell them? You need to believe and then be baptized. Baptism necessary for salvation? No. As a result of salvation. That's why every time before we do a baptism here, we say, I want you to be not gospel confused. Some really prominent denominations, the Christian denomination teaches you must be baptized to be saved. That baptism is part of the work of saving faith. There are no works in saving faith. There are only works from saving faith. Believe and be baptized. So don't be gospel confused. Baptism is not here. Baptism is a result of your salvation. And so now, don't be disobedient. If you have trusted in Jesus... You've admitted your sin, believed in him, and received the free gift of God. You should be baptized. And oftentimes, folks are reluctant to, for a couple of reasons. One, I was baptized as an infant. Doesn't that count? Well, to be baptized as an infant is to put baptism here as being part of your salvation because you weren't saved as an infant. (laughs) Baptism is a result of being saved, not a part of being saved. So if you were baptized as an infant and you have come to Christ, admitted, believed, received, then you should be baptized again. If you have been believed in Christ and not been baptized, the second reason often is you all make people stand up and talk, give a testimony, and I don't want to do that. And I had uh, my son tell me recently, he was like, Dad, you do know the Bible doesn't say you have to give a testimony before you're baptized. And I said, you're right, son, I do know that. So why do you guys have people give a testimony before they're baptized? And here's the answer. There's a number of really good reasons we do this. But I'm quick to acknowledge, you don't have, the Bible, there, there's no verse that says thou shalt Give your testimony before you get dunked. Why do we do it here? Here's why we do it. Number one, it establishes for you gospel clarity in your own speaking of your testimony. John always works with folks to make sure as they write out their testimony, is this gospel accurate? Because we hear testimonies and they're gospel confused. 
And if we simply said, do you believe? Yep, we believe. And we, don't, we would never be able to hear from for ourselves that you have gospel clarity. So number, re- number one reason, gospel clarity. Number two reason, this is learned obedience even when you're afraid. See, partly there is a, uh, in many of us, I obey the things that the Bible says that I'm comfortable doing. And the ones that, that make me afraid, I don't do those. That's why some people aren't getting baptized, because I'm afraid. And the real privilege of stepping in obedience in spite of your fear is this. You will experience God's sufficiency. See, as long as we only live life according to what we're comfortable with, who needs the Lord? So I understand, trust me, I get it. To stand up and to give your testimony, very scary. I don't disagree. It's a great opportunity for you in obedience to the Lord to experience his sufficiency in your fear. Third, it encourages you. When you hear people share their stories, doesn't it encourage you? Yes, I think it does. It's one of the reasons. Children, youth, adults, you're encouraged. You're spurred on as people share their stories. It reminds you of God's grace in your life. It reminds you of God's saving work in your life. So we do it because it encourages the body. Years ago, we used to do them in backyards in people's swimming pools. And it was great. And people liked it more because it wasn't 300 people. But the 300 people were actually missing the encouragement of their faith because they weren't hearing the stories. That's why we've brought them into the worship service. And the final reason is God God gets praised as people share their story. And we're not just clapping for, hey, way to go in your obedience. Our applause, and when we sing afterwards, it's giving God praise for what he's done for us. So, sometimes we're confused. Was I, I was baptized as an infant. Do I need to be baptized? Yes. Uh, sometimes we're afraid. So sometimes we think, uh, I came to Christ a long time ago and I've never been baptized. Now that's going to be awkward. Because people are going to think, you haven't been baptized? This was my wife's story. My wife was baptized as an infant because she grew up in a Catholic family. And then she came to Christ in high school. But she came to Christ in high school in a Presbyterian church that doesn't practice believer's baptism. So she went through all of high school and then Bible college, going to Presbyterian church, never being baptized. We came to Jacksonville, came on staff here, And now she's the wife of a staff member who's not been baptized. Well, that's awkward. I'm not going to. Nobody knows I'm not baptized. I know it, but nobody else knows it. And it was actually sitting in a service on a Sunday morning where the Lord brought conviction that baptism is a step of obedience. And it was late, but... She said, hey, I need to be baptized. And so we were in, uh, this is back when we did it in backyard swimming pools. We were at Warden Bonnie Rainey's house and she gave her testimony and the two adult pastors at the time double dunked her. (laughs) But it was a stumbling. It was a little bit of a, ah, that's going to feel funny that where I am and haven't been baptized. So that might be keeping you. If you have heard 
oh, I came to Christ, I was baptized after I came to Christ, but it was in another church, now at CFC? Are you saying I need to get baptized again? No. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you were baptized before you came to Christ, you should be baptized again. But you don't need to be baptized at CFC if you've been baptized in another church after your salvation. So the critical question is, when's the next baptism? And, and that is, uh, need a little help here, thanks. November 16th and 19th. That's when the about Thursday night and Sunday morning. Some of you are gonna go, oh, I'm gonna do it Thursday night. That's a smaller crowd, that's fine. <laughs> I had an individual come up to me after Thursday night and say, I'm gonna get baptized. I said, way to go. And then she said, at the next beach baptism. Why the beach baptism? Much less people to listen to me there. Don't let, first of all, we may not have a next beach baptism. Because every time we have a baptism at the beach, we get a hurricane. So <laughs> we have had some extreme, they weren't baptisms, they were just like smashed and rolled over and then we got up and that was the baptism. So much calmer here. This will be preceded by uh, a class, help you declare your testimony, make sure it's clear. And I want to encourage you, if you've trusted in Jesus and you've not been baptized, that you would take that step. And people will rejoice with you. They will. People will rejoice with you. Even if your paper's shaking as you talk. That doesn't, you know what that says to people? That says courage, not fear. That says courage. Shaking doesn't say, that says courage. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is the action in spite of my fear. So that's when we're going to have our next baptism. I hope what you have in front of you are four diagrams that you will use. Now, the question, real quick, which one? Which, which diagram are you going to use? You might think, oh, my favorite one, the easiest one. <laughs> I think you should pick the diagram based on the story of the person you're sharing with. If there's brokenness, use number one. If there's uncertainty about what faith is, use number two. If a person has grown up church, specifically Catholicism, use number three. If a person prayed a prayer, but there's never been a life change, use number four. They're, they're all just diagrams to help you communicate the gospel simply and clearly and confront some of the confusion that's in our culture. Before we sing, and we're gonna sing here in a moment. Let me acknowledge. Some of you may have never admitted your sin, believed in Jesus, and received the free gift. And that you saw yourself in one of these diagrams. So I simply want to invite you, if during this time you've had this sense of God speaking to you, that you would respond to him with faith. That simply means right now in this quiet moment, admit to him, I deserve your wrath. I've ruined what you intended to be good. I believe in Jesus. His life, his death, and resurrection. I want to receive what I could not earn, forgiveness and reconciliation. You don't need to close your eyes to do it. You don't have a special prayer of exact words you have to say. In your own words, in your own heart, admit, believe, and receive the free gift of God. If you have questions about that,
be our delight to share it with you and help you in any way. Most of all, I want us to be grateful for the cross of Christ that has reconciled us to God, self, others in this world. So let's stand together and declare hallelujah for the cross. I would be hopeless without your goodness. I would be desperate without your love. Slave to the darkness. If it wasn't for the cross. Because you have won me. With your kindness, chase me down when I was lost. And where would I be if it wasn't for the cross? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I shame was met with mercy and now your mercy will be my song and all the glory all the power of the cross hallelujah thank you Jesus I was a prisoner gift of grace that we've received. Uh, grateful for Doug opening the scriptures and, and giving us some clarity in that. It's always good to remember what has been done for us. So as we go, uh, why don't we look for opportunities this week to share that. Um, we're equipped. Uh, we've been changed. Your story is powerful. Uh, don't be afraid to, to share it. And when you're afraid, step in and courage. So you guys have a great rest of the rest of the day and rest of the week. Really glad that you're here. God bless. See you next time.